This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's Q&As. It's Thursday morning, so hopefully everybody had enough time to get their questions in, but let's jump in and see what we got. First up, Steve Wells wanted to chime in on the discussion of using an external DAC to enable direct video on the Mister, and they suggest using the HD Fury units, which you can get pretty cheap from their Insane Deals page for a good price. Steve didn't want to post the uh, password that's required to get into there, but you could do some very quick web searching like I did and find that immediately. But they seem to work pretty well with one exception in that if you leave the default static wallpaper on your mister, then it'll most of them won't actually work with it. In fact, a lot of digital devices won't. It'll see it as an invalid image. So a couple of answers to this or responses. First of all, I strongly recommend everybody enable the Ronnie Snice wallpapers in Update All. It's completely free. You can get 16 by 9, 4 by 3, or both versions. And it's just simple. All you have to do is enable it, run Update All, and then every time you boot your mister, you'll have a different wallpaper. And that will solve this problem for everybody. I thought the CRT static was very cool on analog displays, but on digital displays, it really does drive capture crazy. And I've had streams, uh, I've had it drop streams because of that. So that's a very easy solution and it's free and Ronnie's wallpapers are awesome. Now, as for the HD Fury, I do think their products are expensive. I don't think they're overpriced. It's a huge difference between that. But I do like using cheaper DACs when possible. However, I did check out the Insane Deals page, and you can get an HD Fury 1 or 2 for pretty cheap. That should work well with this. Um, I've never personally used those, but Steve and other people I've talked to have vouched for them, so they're pretty good. Their products past that are very complicated for what your average gamer would need, even people with crazy setups. So I I don't normally use those because of price and complexity, but the HD Fury 2 and some of the other more basic stuff are just plug and play. So you don't have to worry about any of that. So if you're interested in getting one that um, a couple of people have confirmed works, then that's certainly a good solution. I would definitely just check out the Insane Deals page. I, I'll link to the page, but you could find the password yourself. You're welcome to do so. But uh, as far as other DACs, I do think that we need a more permanent solution for the community. The one person working on the DAC designed exactly for us kind of dropped off the planet. I haven't talked to him in over a month and hopefully they're okay. I, I keep following up every couple of weeks. So I don't know, maybe that project's done indefinitely. Maybe it's finished and the dev just hasn't had time to respond. I, I don't know. But for the short term, I strongly recommend the cheap stuff. Uh, I always recommended the Ranky, not because it was great, but because it was under $10 and it always just worked. So Kuro's analysis showed that the black levels are off, the voltages aren't perfect, but it's fine. If you put it in the context of like, you know, let me take the uh, ivory from Retro Castle, mister. It's always sitting next to me because this is my go-to and compare it to the Ranky. The Ranky is going to look like it's crap, but you take the Ranky in the context of, I got it delivered for under $10 suddenly it might not matter as much. So if you're looking to buy something right now, 
you could uh, you could get one of the HD Furies. Shipping is like thirty bucks, so you'll end up spending a minimum of sixty, even with that deal. Or you can get one of the Rankies for ten dollars and wait to see if there's a community solution. I think what might end up having to happen is uh, amazing people like Kuro, who's done all this stack analysis, would have to help us determine one that checks all of our boxes for Mister, and then we would have to find a store, which I know a, a couple of people that would step up and buy a hundred. 500 and then test like a good 30 40 of them to make sure that they they're consistent and then we have one place to go buy this stuff that we know is consistent or maybe if there's a minimum order of a thousand we could talk to a couple of stores around the world that would each go in on this one order and we just kind of break them up and then sell them with the adapters that you would need to get Mr. Working. So sell it with a SCART adapter, a component adapter, the Mike S adapters. I think that would be the perfect solution for the short term, meaning for this year, because you don't have to spin up brand new manufacturing. You would just need the 3D printed stuff and some of the basic circuits. So that's what I've been trying to work on uh, slowly behind the scenes and trying to nag that other dev to see what's going on with the other one. But my short-term solution would be like meaning the next couple of weeks, if you want one of these, buy the HD Fury and spend the extra money or get the cheap, cheap ones. And just know that if a really perfect one for us comes out, you've spent less than 10 bucks. That's a tool in your toolbox now. And while I don't ever like to waste people's money, I think that one's just a tool at that point, not something you'll never use again. So just my opinions, though. I just kind of wanted to give some perspective because I've spent a ridiculous amount of time testing Mr. Direct Video stuff, probably an unhealthy amount of time. But if you don't, uh, if you know for a fact you want everything built into one case, just get the Retro Castle one with the uh, the Direct Video built in. Uh, check out that video if you want to know the difference between direct video, the IO board. I don't want to rehash it all here for anybody who sat through that. But if you've decided that you want to use direct video, maybe it's a dual RAM thing. That's the one to get for now if you don't already have a full kit that you like. Next up, Dr. Lilo wants to know what methods people are using to capture light gun games on the PS1 and PS2. They ask because the SCART cable they're using has a built-in gun con port, but whenever you actually plug in the gun con to that port, all of the scalers seem to go crazy. So I think that might be a mistake, and I hope that the cable that's sent to you or cables were built correctly. Generally speaking, for PS1 and PS2, you should use sync on Luma cables, and then composite video is broken out to that port, which is also the bonus of you could have composite video out as well if you're ever going from like, let's say you have a scaler that you do most of your gaming on, but you got yourself a CRT for light gun games, you could just get a SCART adapter to break out audio and then just pull the composite video right from there. So there's there's a lot of reasons why I, I recommend that. However, if you're getting interference on your scaler when you plug in that connection, then there's something up. Maybe they used composite video as sync and composite video for that. And that would make sense because then what you would end up doing is essentially that would be like a Y cable. So let me step back for a moment. Um, the way those gun con ports work on a light gun. So you have your light gun, you plug it into your PlayStation's controller port, and then there's that composite video pass through. If you put that on a scope, adding that pass through does not add any 
any real resistance to it. So while technically speaking, it's a Y circuit, the video goes into the gun and then through the gun and out into your TV, it is not doing the same thing as plugging two terminated ends on it. So that's why it's completely safe to do that. And that's why it would all, it should also be completely safe to do something like run an RGB SCART cable into your scaler into a capture card and then take that composite video port, run that into your gun con and into a CRT. The only time that would be a problem is if that uh, SCART cable with the gun con port syncs on composite video, then you would not be able to do that. So why would you ever want one that syncs on composite video? Well, there's a very good reason. Let's say you have a scaler and a CRT with a SCART input, or uh, then you might be able to just use composite video for that CRT. And this is more of a UK thing than a US thing. And then when you plug it into your scaler, you have that built in. So there is definitely a need for it. Uh, I really hope that the cable manufacturers make it a little harder to order that model because you would really specifically need that scenario. And I would say of all the people who want to do what I'm talking about, a tiny percentage would want to do it this way because you would require something that has composite video over SCART. It's really going to be a UK focused thing. But if you did it that way, then you would be it would be like using a Y cable, which is very bad for the console. And as you're seeing in your setup, it doubles the termination, dropping the voltage down. So not only are you putting double load on the console itself, but you're not sending the proper signal to the uh, to whatever scaler you have to sync on it. So my guess is that you're using cables that sync on composite video and have the gun con port when the proper solution would have been sync on Luma SCART cables with the composite video port broken out. So I would look into that. I would contact your cable manufacturer to see and double check. And I really do strongly, just is my opinion, but I do think they should make it harder to order cables that sync on composite with a gun con port for this exact reason. Now, please let me know if you have sync on Luma cables and this is still happening, that could be a completely different issue, but that's probably cable related as well. So let me know uh, if that's the case. But yeah, I think that's it. So I'm sorry, that might mean that you need to buy new cables, which really sucks. But you know, there's not much else you can do. If you're in a situation where you have that SCART cable going directly to a CRT, maybe even a PVM or whatever, you could still use the gun, just the gun only on that RCA port because it's still only one termination. You're still just terminating it on the CRT. But I don't know. Uh, let me know if you need me to clarify anymore. I know this stuff gets a little complicated, but hopefully I was able to visualize that for you. Next up, Tony Escobar said they loved the Retro Castle video. Thank you. I worked hard on that one. I really wanted to make it very clear about direct video versus I.O. board, yada, yada. Um, but anyway, Tony's question is, what snack adapters do I recommend for the Retro Castle case? Well, any of the properly built snack adapters should work fine. Um, the only thing I suggest is a lot of them have the USB port right on the board, so just buy yourself a little pigtail. I really, I had pushed hard for a couple of people to make these with JST connectors, 
So it's it would be like a little plastic case with a pigtail hanging out the back. Those are really the best way to have done that. But I'm not sure of, of anybody who's done that yet. So right now they just have the USB port built in, which is fine. Just don't plug it directly in because you're going to put too much pressure. A little tiny USB. It's going to be USB 3.0 because of the pinout, but just a tiny USB 3.0 pigtail, which you could probably get for like a dollar on Amazon or something like that, or maybe a little bit more than that. But still, it's all you need to worry about. And it's just for strain relief. And that should be it. Um, Ivory from Retro Castle does sell snack adapters, but I really want to retest them because the last time I tested, they were all betas. And I remember the PlayStation one working great. Uh, but I got to double check all that. Also, I would like to hopefully work with um, maybe Greg from Laser Bear would help make 3D printed cases for those. Uh, I Because that's the one thing is that they're just PCB only. And I don't really like that. No disrespect to Ivory. Obviously, I'm a, a big fan of his work. But I, I like it when things feel like components, not like um, science projects for this stuff. So I would just look for anybody's snack adapters that just as built correctly with the level shifters on there and a USB output and not need to buy many components to do what could, should very easily be on one board. So that would really be it. There should be a bunch of sellers that have something like that. Um, but I'll also follow up with Ivory about that and maybe Greg as well. Maybe that's something um, Ryan uh, would be able to stock completed versions of that. I think that would be the, in my opinion, that would be the, the best option is if somebody bought uh, just or some store put together Ivory's kits that were verified. Just once again, just because I'm a nerd, we're going to verify everything first and then put a 3D printed case around it and then have the pigtail extension cord built in. So it just feels like, uh, a, you know, it feels like a, a professional product type of thing. Um, and just a polite reminder, you only need snack for light guns and some very specific peripherals. If you're just gaming with a controller, the MacGyver adapters, Greg from Laser Bear sells those. I'll leave a link if you want. I think Genesis, NES, and SNES, I believe. But those are one millisecond of latency, which should be zero in your mind. And if somebody tells you that one millisecond is one and shouldn't be thought of as zero... They're probably a Smash player trying to use an excuse for why they lost the match. It's just not true. One millisecond when it comes to controllers is zero to the human mind. The only thing that that would matter is things that sync per scan line, like a light gun. So that's the only other thing I suggest there is just make sure that, you know, uh, you... Uh, uh, you actually need a snack adapter because most people really don't. The disadvantage of using snack with controllers is that you can't access the menus through there. So that's another reason why those MacGyver adapters are probably better for every scenario except light guns and maybe one or two others. But yeah, I'll, I'll keep everybody updated. If uh, those snack adapters come in stock, I'll do a post and maybe even a live stream testing them out. Next up, Travis wants to know a way to connect their PC to their PVM. Downscaler. Um, that's almost surely going to be the easiest way to do this. So get yourself a GBS control, set it all up, set it into downscaling mode, and then take one output of your PC and dedicate it to that. So it's got a VGA input. So if your PC only has an HDMI out, you can get a cheap HDMI DAC, plug it into the GBS control, and then set it to downscale, and then output that to your PVM. And that should be all that you need. Uh, you might need to do some changes on the output side. You might need a sync combiner like the HD15 to SCART, but that would be the easiest way to do it. And 
you're all in under a hundred bucks and that's including shipping, making your own GBS control. You might even be able to get a GBS control pre-built, including all of this stuff, but you're basically going to need a DAC, a GBS control and an HD 15 to start and a VGA cable. And that should be all that you need to do in order to accomplish this and then just send it 480p. So you might need to use some kind of custom resolution tool to set your PC to output 480p, but 640 by 480, the GBS control will downscale that to 240p and you're good to go. You should be able to do this on basically any OS, uh, any video card, it should all just, 640 by 480 is not something that should require special hardware other than on the external side like I just recommended. Now, if this is something where you want to build a dedicated PC for emulation, you can get things like the arcade VGA card. You could try to find a compatible ATI card and flash it with the Atom BIOS, I think it's called. I'm sorry, I might be, it's off the top of my head and I might be getting that wrong. But you could buy a dedicated card for probably about the same price that will just output 240p. So if, if that's what you're trying to do, just build a dedicated system, that's the route I would go. However, if you're looking to use your PC, but then also use it on a PVM for emulation or whatever else, then the downscaling route is the way to go. Now, you could try to get other downscalers, but they're all going to be more expensive than the GBS control. And the GBSC is a great device. And in this case, you wouldn't, you probably wouldn't be able to notice any difference because it's going to be an all analog signal. So digital to analog out of your computer, analog through the GBSC, analog to your PVM, you don't really have any other advantages there. So I think that's going to be the best way to do it. But if I'm drawing a blank, let me know. Um, the only other thing that you mentioned is uh, RGB-HV versus RGBS. That's what the HD15 Descartes would take care of for you. You don't have to worry about that at all, and it's not that expensive. So I'm assuming you have some kind of SCART solution for your PVM, so that would be, that would be what I suggest. So um, yeah, let me know if you have any other questions, but that's basically it. Next up, Lily Larceny has several HDMI modded consoles that also output RGB. While it's not necessary, it's fun to be able to use these consoles on either the CRT or the 4K flat panel. Their Wii has a Wii Dual mod and they use a Wii Dual SCART cable. In order to display correctly on their standard definition consumer CRT, they have to go into GC video and disable any and all line doubling and in the Wii menu, switch it from 480p to 480i. The 4K TV doesn't care much for the 240p or 480i signal either. Even worse, it's not impossible to accidentally get no display on either and have to fumble their way through changing it back without any display. They would rather just be able to turn on the Wii and use whichever TV they want or both and not have to change a bunch of settings. They could leave it in 480i all the time and use an upscaler for the 4K TV, but even when they do get a RetroTINK 4K, they think they'd rather give it a digital 480p native render to upscale and then keep the console in 480i mode just for the sake of the CRT. Is there a scenario where splitting the 480p digital signal and downscaling for the CRT would be better than using the RGB output from the console? So that's exactly what I was thinking when I was reading your question. Um, it's going to change the look of some games. Now, if you're talking about virtual console games, no, it won't. But, you know, some games, um, like, you know, you're playing new Super Mario Brothers, right? That isn't going to look the same way that it would have being sent in 480i, 
but you also would get a cool 240p look. And I think some downscalers would support going down to 480i. I believe the RetroTank 5X and the almost impossible to find Super Emotion would be able to do that. So yeah, that's exactly the way that I would suggest doing it. The only thing is price, right? I certainly wouldn't tell you to go buy a Tink 5X just for this. However, what if you already own one and you want to keep it as a tool in your toolbox and you're going to get the 4K, then yes, there you go. Just leave it connected to your Wii all the time. And now if you ever need a second scaler, you could just set it, you know, borrow it back from your own setup and then set it back to downscale and put it back when you're done. So yeah, that, that's definitely one. GBS control, I mean, Lily, you'd obviously be able to whip up one of those, no problem. After the mods that you do, that's going to be one you could do blindfolded and drunk, so no problem at all. Uh, so that's another one for downscaling because it's a cheap, dedicated device that you could do that with. And uh, you should be able to set it to component video and just use the component video in. And the only other thing you would have to do is probably mod it for component video out on the GBS control. I think you just need to switch one resistor or something like that. So yeah, I think that would actually be pretty perfect for that. And it would work for GameCube and Dreamcast and anything else that would run in native, anything else that would run like that, where you have to have both outputs simultaneous. So same thing with Dreamcast. Um, but if there's anything that would run independently of, like the new Genesis mod that has HDMI out would also output 240p. So you wouldn't have to worry about it from something like that. But yeah, in your scenario, we GameCube and Dreamcast, I think that would be perfect. I also think um, like PlayStation 1, I don't think you would have to worry about that either because it's always just going to output analog and the PS1 digital would do the scaling. But the ones that you mentioned, yeah, definitely. So dedicated downscaler box should be absolutely perfect. And I would, I would either use the Tink 5X if you were going to keep it anyway or build yourself a GBS control. Or build yourself a GBSC anyway, because it would be pretty cheap and you'd have some fun messing around with it. Also, thanks very much for the kind words. I also really love doing these Q&As, so thanks for participating. Next up, Kyle said they've been thinking of repurposing an old PC as a retro NAS, but they'd also like to have a server for other media like music and video as well. Would it be possible to have the same machine run retro NAS and also act as storage, or would I recommend getting separate machines for each use case? So in this specific scenario that you're describing right now, you already own an old PC. You could already switch it over to a retro NAS, but you also want to use it for other stuff. Then that is a pretty easy answer for me. If you were really good at Linux, then I would just set up some extra shares for your music and video and just run it off a retro NAS. But if not, or if you just don't want to deal with that, there, here is where I would purchase Unraid. It is software that you have to buy, but it's fairly cheap. It's a lifetime license. There's no gutches anywhere. You could buy the cheapest version, and if you ever add a whole bunch more drives, you just upgrade. Um, you don't get ripped off. Your upgrade fees are all fair and everything. So, and then I would basically turn the PC into an Unraid server and load a retro NAS virtual machine on it. Myself and a lot of other people have this. Uh, Dustin, aka Dasutin, did a guide, which I'll link here for you as well. So that's exactly what I would do, because now you have everything taken care of. You have this modern interface for sharing your music and your videos. You could load stuff like um, any of the NZP hosts or any of that uh, if you really want to get into videos, and you could run a Plex server. There's just a ton of stuff you could do with Unraid. And then you just run RetroNAS as a VM, and it barely takes up any CPU power when it's an idle, so you don't really have to worry about anything. 
if it's a super old PC, I would only do one thing at a time. Like, don't be streaming a Ultra HD video to a streaming box at the same time that you're loading PlayStation ISOs over the network. But any kind of 10-year-old PC should still be able to handle most of that without any problems whatsoever. Also, how would the power draw be on an old PC used as a NAS? Um, I mean... That's going to be up to you. You could buy a real cheap one of these adapters that you plug into the wall and you plug something into it and it'll tell you how much power it's drawing. And I think the fancier ones, you could hit like start and then come back a day later and hit stop and you could see how much power it's drawn over that day. And then you could make sure that that's something that's important to you. For me personally, I hate wasting money at all, but having a server with six drives or whatever running 24-7 is a way for me to always guarantee access to the things that I need and instant backups when I need to. So if I end up spending an extra $100 a year on power, that is nothing compared to what I would have to spend to get all of the stuff back if I lost everything. So that's kind of how I look at it. Same thing with hard drives, right? No one wants to drop 300 bucks on another 20 terabyte hard drive that you may or may not even need but would you drop 300 bucks to get your data back if you had lost everything? And most of us would say, yes, definitely. So that's kind of how I, I look at it. But if power draw is something that's important to you, or if your old PC is like an old enterprise level server with five power supplies in it, yeah, you could just go to a Raspberry Pi solution. I would just use a four so that you get the USB three ports out of it or four or higher. But it would be more power efficient, but it wouldn't be as easy to run things like streaming music and video over it as well. You you could, but I, I don't know. It, I guess I would really just base this decision on your overall needs, but I'm thinking Unraid is probably going to be the best thing for you. So I'll leave a link to that. And there's a free trial, so you can always just give this a try, whip everything up. You spend a couple hours testing, and if it's not for you, it's not for you. But And you could run Unraid on one hard drive, but it, uh, buying a second would probably be a good idea just to make sure that you have a parity drive in there so you don't have to worry. If one drive dies, you don't lose anything. But I'll leave a link to the stuff that I did on that, and I think that's going to be a good use for you. Next up, Sal said that they really like their G-Comp G-SCART switches. However, their G-Comp just died and they're not able to contact anybody to get it repaired or replaced. And this is a weird situation because Super G, when the design was finished, uh, he also got busy with other stuff. So he kind of stepped back and let uh, Ryan from Castlemania, Rondo, etc. take care of it. And from that point, now you really are only going through Ryan. The whole point of releasing a project like that to somebody else is that you don't have time to support it. And uh, from Ryan's point of view, you know, I know he's busy with a lot of stuff. And that's not an excuse for not getting back to anybody, by the way. I'm not defending that. But I am saying Ryan's not sitting on a beach, sipping a margarita, you know, taking in the sun. Ryan's working his butt off. Should be working a little harder to get these emails answered. But um it's kind of interesting because how old is it? If it's under a year old, or at the very least, when it died, if it was under a year old, you should, without a doubt, get that thing replaced. I don't know what the official warranty is, but that's the right thing to do. But if it's over a year old, you should still be able to send that out to pay for repair because maybe something happened. Maybe it's just one chip. I don't really know. So what my advice would be, let's say this thing is five years old. At that point, you really can't fault anybody for you know not doing a swap out for it. It just it is what it is. There's so many things you could do. 
that you could have done that it could have just died. Something could have happened. Like it could be nobody's fault. It could be your fault. After that many years, though, you know, after a reasonable period of time, nobody should expect a manufacturer to do a free replacement. But there should be modders that could be able to help with this. I think Leon's done a bunch of repairs. Um, I vaguely remember Krista doing a few repairs on these as well. But that should be something that somebody could take a look at and try to trace out the problem. But if if it's under a reasonable period of time, then without a doubt, you should be able to get that thing swapped out. So, uh, you know, I'll reach out. I don't I really don't like getting in the middle of this stuff, but I have heard a lot of people say that they're still waiting on stuff from Castlemania or Rondo. So I'll, I'll send another text to Ryan and just nudge him a little bit. But um, yeah, if it's under that period of time, I would just keep nagging Ryan until that got replaced because that would be the right thing to do. And if it's multi-years old, then I would just try to find a modder to repair it because almost guaranteed it's going to be one or two parts. Super G built the hell out of those. I would I would be shocked if the whole thing was dead. I mean, that's that's some like, you know, throw it in a bathtub and plug it into AC type of thing if every component was dead in that. So yeah, I'm sorry. I wish I had more positive things to tell you, but I would just either look for it to get repaired or just keep nagging and see what happens. But I'm sorry that you and everybody else have to deal with this, but it is kind of a battle of running a small business, right? It's not most of these stores, if not all of them are not big enough to hire a team of support people. But you know, so what are you going to do? It's you're going to ignore your customers, you're going to go do something else and not sell anything at all. It's a really hard problem to solve. And uh, Ryan's probably doing a better job than I could have. But I feel your pain. Uh, Sorry about that. Next up, Demon Koo wants some suggestions for streaming boxes on a CRT. Because there's a few things that you have to worry about with this. First, aspect ratio. So even if you were to downscale, it might not be at the correct aspect. Um, and then you would also have to worry about app compatibility. Because while sure, you could build some kind of Kodi box and try to output in 480i for videos saved on your PC, then what are you going to do with Netflix or TV shows on other apps that require a modern device that still has an updated app? So what I would suggest is looking into any of those cheap Amazon downscalers and seeing if you could put a streaming box in a four by three resolution. So maybe you could do it 640 by 480 and it would downscale it to 480i. That could work. You could try to do any of the downscalers that could do 480i like um, the Supermosha and Tink 5X. Those are pretty expensive solutions though uh, in order to do just that. You could try the Extron device that I did in the stream. Um, that's gonna be another not cheap device but probably not as expensive as a retro tank. So I would I would look into that. What I'm really hoping is stuff like uh, the Groovy Mister project would be able to stream anything. So imagine you're able to to use that and you just capture a web window and downscale that through to to play your videos. I think that project has so much potential. It's just really going to take people to step up and help because that's obviously I'm not going to dump all that on Calamity's shoulders. He's working his butt off trying to get everything working just for MAME support, which is so appreciated. So that that could be it too, but I think for the most part, if you're looking to stream stuff that you have saved on your PC, getting a Raspberry Pi and trying to figure out some kind of 480i Kodi solution would be the best. And if you're looking into apps, I would check out a post I did a while back about 480i downscaling and try to see if there's anything there that might be able to work for you uh, and just kind of check some of the options available. But I'll leave a link to that. 
Next up, Oliver Clare is running into an issue using a zero tolerance link cable that I have no way to verify or test, and I've never done any of this before. So I'm gonna ask you, the community, do you have any suggestions or can you try reproducing this? So basically, Oliver is just using a zero tolerance link cable. You plug them into port or controller port two of two separate Genesis consoles to play zero tolerance, as well as Doom 32X Resurrection that has that support built into it. However, uh, Oliver doesn't seem to be able to get that working on one of the analog consoles, which supposedly is compatible with the zero tolerance cable and is having a ton of other issues when putting it together with everything. Oliver's got a video on it and uh, a complete write-up here, which maybe, Oliver, you could post that into the description or put like a paste bin up or something if people want to reference this as well. But basically, um, how is this going to be working or how can this be working? Is there some piece of the puzzle that we're all missing? Uh, do you have to remove the 32X when playing zero tolerance uh, in order to get the link cable working? Has anybody gotten it working on the analog Genesis console? It, it is listed as compatible with zero tolerance. Uh, so basically, maybe Vic, if you're listening, the creator of Doom Resurrection for 32X, is there anything you could do, do to help or any advice that you could give Oliver? Because this is a pretty cool setup. The basic, just, well, I know I talk about this all the time, but the short, short version is Oliver has one giant gaming room that's all wired up for all of this stuff, and then a separate retro cart with all of the double consoles. So anything that has link cable support, you could roll this cart over, and then you have the CRT right there, and then you could plug it into the other console and then that's how you could do two-player head-to-head. So it's a really cool setup and something I think many of us might, at the very least, be interested in seeing a video on. So if we can get this working for Oliver, it would be pretty cool. And it's something that could be documented as well because Oliver also contributes to the wiki. So if we find some issue or something that we need, this could end up a wiki post. So anybody in the future that runs into this would hopefully be able to use whatever method we figure out to fix it. So any suggestions, please post in the comments. Hopefully we could get this figured out and it would be fun to see this working. Next up, Chris Shikteno has a Pioneer LaserDisc player and a Panasonic VCR, and they capture video by connecting them to the RetroTINK 5X, then outputting the HDMI to their Magewell Capture 4K+. They use OBS to capture the video to an MP4 file, then they use Final Cut Pro to remove any blank video or remove the black screen between flipping LaserDiscs from side A to B. When all is done, they export it and the quality is nice, but they'd like to get the best quality possible. They want to get into backing up these formats using Doomsday Duplicator. Can you use the devices that they have for that, or do you need a specific player? So you're going to want to check the wikis for both the LaserDisc and VHS Doomsday, and you want to see what other people are using and if or those are models that work. Now, Technically, any VCR or any LaserDisc player should be able to have points on the motherboard that you tap, but some are known for being much better than others. Some have too weak of a signal at their tap points to do stuff like this. So you want to reference their documentation. Also, um, there aren't really any... I'm not sure if there's video tutorials, but the wikis are very detailed and their uh, their Discord server is pretty friendly. So you should be able to go in and have people point you in the right direction to get started. It's really complicated, though. And the people who work on this get annoyed with me when I say that, but it's 
really, really complicated. So what I would suggest is if this is something that's important to you, definitely do it, but just go in with realistic expectations. Now, the one very cool thing about one of the many very cool things about Doomsday is once you're done with that original capture, which is massive, by the way, like a terabyte, you're going to have to definitely buy a separate drive just to save these original rips on maybe multiple drives, to be honest. Um, but once you have that original rip, as long as it's ripped properly, so do like a little test five minute or like on a, a laser disc that you know is good, do a five minute test, um, run it through its paces and make sure that you're getting a good rip. But if everything's calibrated, any of the methods that you use after that don't matter in that if you do it completely wrong, if you get it 90% of the way there, doesn't matter. You still have that original file that you should always save. Because what if you get really good at this and you get the most perfect 480i export and then you go to upscale it to 4K and now you have that. What if 10 years go by and all of the people who are working on this project figure out even better ways to regenerate that video. Or if there's multiple sources that are now put together, now you could regenerate that file. And I would hope as time goes on, deinterlacing would just start to evolve a little more. And now you're able to get an even better 4K copy of it without touching the original media because you already have that original rip. So that's definitely something that I would be, uh, I would recommend if this is super important to you. And if you know that this is the type of project that you're into, but if you're just like, Hey, I have a bunch of stuff that I want to have really good rips of, I would, uh, I would consider a few other things for laser disc that, um, capture card with the three comb filter worked out really well. It's the hop card. I have, if you have a slot in your PC, um, just check the eBay store that I, I have one of them at least for sale. Uh, I have an external one that could plug in through a Thunderbolt port, but that's going to be really expensive because you're going to have to buy the Thunderbolt adapter as well. I have one of those, but you can use any one of them. But the Thunderbolt adapter is going to be far more expensive than the capture card. So that would get you a three comb filter. That's kind of what I showed at the, the last um, the last test. And I would actually capture that in its original 480i for all the reasons I just mentioned. Now for VHS, you're gonna have some kind of time-based correction issues on it. I'm not sure if your Panasonic player has a TBC built in. If it does, same thing, use that same Hallposh capture card, go directly to 480i using um, uh, virtual dub, just like I showed in that the, the last couple of streams I did with that. And now you have a very good quality original 480i capture of it. If the VCR doesn't have a time-based corrector, you're either going to need to put one in between and do not spend $1,000 on that data video one. You could just uh, try to find any other device, including a DVD recorder that might have them. The DVD is going to use MPEG compression and it's not going to look good. So just use it as a pass-through like I did in the last stream that I did. I'll leave a link to that. And um, that should take care of it. Or... If your Magewell Pro Capture 4K Plus, if that could accept a 480i signal, you could use the RetroTINK 5X's time-based correction mode and set it to output 480i, so you're essentially doing the same thing. That would also work, by the way, for the LaserDisc player. You just wouldn't get as advanced comb filtering, which maybe you need that, maybe you don't. Really just depends on a million different factors, but... So you could, I would run that test first because that's the the hardware that you already own. I would send um, 
VCR, let's just say, through the Tink 5X, set that to 480i output, and see if your Magewell will actually output or will capture that 480i signal, or if it's like my Avermedia Live Gamer 4K, which will always deinterlace and won't let you do a 480i interlaced signal. It'll come out as 480p, whether you like it or not. So that's definitely what I would suggest. Um, now, as far as installing these kits and building Doomsday stuff, on their Discord and in their wiki, there is a list of approved installers. Um, definitely go through that list, because if not, you're probably going to end up with... There's a reason there's that list there. Let me just put it that way. So this is just something that you gotta. You have to really just decide how far you want to go with it. You could use your existing stuff. You could even use the um, the Tink 5X to go to 480p or higher. You just Then you would miss out on that original capture, which, like I was saying before, if 10 years from now there's some amazing 480i deinterlacer released, you can't do that because it's already in 480p. So I would try what you already have, go from there. Uh, if you want one of those other capture cards, that'll work too. And look into the Doomsday stuff and just... Just know that you're going to be going down a deep rabbit hole. But if you enjoy it, it really is the best possible way to do these. And if you have stuff that multiple people have copies of, you could put them together to have a much better end result than you could ever with just one source. Raymond just wanted to follow up really quick about update all on the mister having the text cut off on the side. And I said my gut feeling was that it was an overscan issue that you might not run into on a PC monitor, but you might on a TV. And Raymond said that it that, that seems to be what it is. Um, as soon as you switch to other resolutions, it would do an auto adjust and fix the overscan resolution or the overscan issue. So Really glad that's all it was, and that's a really cool tip. So if anybody's having an issue trying to see that, maybe switch inputs or something and or do some kind of auto scan on your TV, but that's very cool. So thank you very much for following up, and I'm really glad that's all it was because that means there's just not really a problem with Mr. It's just some TVs don't like weird resolutions and stuff like that. So appreciate the follow-up. Next, Oliver had a question about that retro cart he's building that I mentioned before in regards to cable strain relief. So when you have single-use carts like I've been using here for the past couple months, that's not an issue at all. But what happens when you have a bunch of consoles all jammed on it, you have all of their thick shielded SCART cables, everything's running alongside each other, how do you handle all of that? And Cousin Scott still has his cart that way, and that's how I had mine for a long time back over the different places that I lived. And for me personally, it was a combination of natural strain relief supported by zip ties and stuff. So what I mean is I wouldn't plug everything into a SCART switch and then bend the cables so they're putting pressure on the switch. I would kind of let everything sit in place. And if I wanted to center the SCART switch, for example, but I plugged all the cables in, Maybe it's actually a little bit less strain if I move it askew a bit or move it forward or back or, you know, rather than try to conform the things to the way I wanted, I tried to do the opposite and try to see where everything could fit. And then once I found a spot that kind of felt secure, then I would zip tie the switch in place. And then I would also start zip tying the cables so they wouldn't shift. So once again, like I wouldn't bend a cable around a corner and zip tie it in place. I would kind of let them flop exactly where they're going to sit. I'd sort of bunch them together a little bit and then zip tie that as one bundle just to so that the cables provide their own strain relief and my zip ties and stuff were just securing that. 
Um, also for power, I would try to run that along a different area. So I have the, I always had those um, rack carts that were the ones that were my kind of my favorites. So I would run them around the sides and sometimes you could see the cables and it's not as nice, but I would try to run power separately for that. Um, switching to the triads that have the smaller power bricks or something that should save a little bit of space at least. But that was mainly it, and you're still going to run into stuff. I mean, even the, the most shielded cables with power run uh, so close to them, with everything else run so close together, you might get a little more audio buzz than a direct connect. But a scenario like this, you have to have some kind of compromises. So to be able to walk up to a retro cart, to power on a console, plug it in, power on a console, and have everything automatically pop up, that's probably worth a tiny bit of quality loss to most people who want something that easy. Whereas for my situation, I'm doing 99% testing and 1% gaming. So grabbing which monitor I want, wheeling it over, connecting everything one at a time, it sucks. It's boring. I don't like doing that every single time, digging through boxes, finding cables, but it's always a pretty uh, pretty flawless connection. And if there is an issue, it's easy to troubleshoot because it's one thing at a time. So I'm not discouraging what you're doing. <clears throat> I'm fully supporting it. I'm just saying you're probably going to run into some weird issues. And I would definitely just try and route it in the least strain possible. And when in doubt, get a bigger cart. That's something that I'm kind of struggling with now because I would love to have five original consoles hooked up to one of those monitors over there. And it would barely fit four with all the things that I wanted on there. So it's like, what's more important to me? And for me, in my setup, it's far more important to have easy access to the monitors. But if having one cart solution for everything was more important, I would just buy a slightly bigger cart. And yeah, you know, you get some space wasted on top because there's, you know, the CRT is going to be in the middle, but Maybe that's just an excuse to get upgraded speakers or something. I don't know. So I would just kind of approach it that way. But let me know how you make out because it sounds like you're having a pretty awesome setup. Next up, Jason Guffey said that I mentioned in my SNES video that not having the soundboard plugged in on original SNES or Super Famicoms prevents the system from booting up at all. Is that right? I think so. I've had a couple people in the comments say it's not right at all and it'll boot. It just won't play audio. So my guess is it depends on the motherboard revision because that wasn't BS. I've had many times where I, did, I turned on that console and nothing happened and I freaked out because I thought I broke it. And then all I realized was, oh, okay, unplug the power, plug the sound module back in and it booted. So I have no reason to believe the people in the comments are lying. They weren't trolly. It, it wasn't some people in there like making fun of me. It was just, it was honest people just trying to say, hey, you know, I, I, I ran into this, but it, I had a different result. So my guess is that different motherboard revisions would act differently. The SHVCs that I've tested definitely don't power on without it, or if it went bad. So if you have a motherboard revision, I, I would first check the motherboard rev. If it's an SHVC, it could very well be a bad sound module. It could also be a bad fuse. It could be a million other things, but it's certainly plausible that that would be it. If it's a different motherboard rev, who knows what it could be. I would just start troubleshooting it one step at a time. But yeah, it's. I would. I think it's, even if I made a mistake and said uh, all SNESs with that external module won't boot without it, I still think that's a perfectly fine mistake to make for this exact scenario. That way people could still test and see for themselves. Um, so yeah, give that a try or first check the motherboard rev and then give it a try and see if swapping it out, reseeding it. I mean, when in doubt, I used to, my first tech job, 
I, I apprenticed under this old grumpy IT guy. And he, every time I walked in the room, like, hey, David, is it plugged in? Uh, David, it's a software issue. Is the computer you're logging into plugged in? And every time, you know, is it plugged in with the right cable? Is it plugged into the right port? Are you logging into the, is it plugged in really solved like 75% of the problems that I brought him. And to the point where I, we would just have a very big belly laugh about it because sometimes it's like, yeah, actually the server's offline. So technically it wasn't plugged in. Like, So yeah, is it plugged in is always one of my first go-tos. And if you watch my live streams, it's the most common mistake that I make as well. So there you go. There you go, David. If you're still alive, then, uh, you know, they, I'm still carrying that with me, but I'm still making the mistake all the time. Also, Jason had a question that sounded funny, but I don't understand it because I don't really know who Pat Benatar is. I vaguely remember her being an 80s singer. I probably heard probably heard some songs and just didn't even realize it was her. So I, I'm going to skip it because I don't want to ruin I don't want to ruin the joke. Sorry, Jason. Well, that's it for this week. As always, if you have any question at all, please just ask wherever it is that you support in the latest Q and A post. The way these services work, I can't really figure out what's a new question on an old post. Plus, I really love just scrolling through in real time like you always see me do and treating it as if we're hanging out somewhere, having a conversation. Also, any place that you support, feel free to ask. It just There seems to be a lot more people signed up to Patreon, so that's why very often you'll only see it like in this week. Go to the Patreon page, but I check every single one of them every week. And I even always refresh the pages right at the end of my recording just to make sure that I didn't miss any last-minute questions. So as always, thank you all so much for your support, for participating in these, and just for being awesome. So thank you, and I'll see you next week.